You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer joins the Post to discuss the surge in COVID-19 cases in her state, voting rights, water infrastructure projects, and more. Good afternoon. I'm Jonathan Capehart, opinion writer for the Washington Post. Welcome to Washington Post Live and another installment in our series, Leadership During Crisis, with the 49th governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer. Governor Whitmer, welcome back to Washington Post Live. Thank you. It's good to be with you. So let's pick up on the conversation in that clip that we saw of you on Face the Nation and talk about something you said to um, Chuck Todd on Meet the Press. You said you didn't have, quote, all of the exact same tools to combat COVID And you cited a lawsuit by your state legislature and a defeat in the Michigan Supreme Court last October that ruled you needed legislative approval for some of the measures you enacted at the outset of the pandemic um, uh, last year. Is that the reason, you think, for the big increase in COVID cases in Michigan? Well, I think that there are a lot of contributing factors to the increased uh, COVID numbers in Michigan. One is, of course, we were very successful for a long period of time. We kept our uh, positivity rates in the single digits for the vast majority of the last year. And because of that, now that we are 15 months in and people are tired and they're dropping their guard and their mobility has increased, we also have the variants here in Michigan. And the B117 variant is incredibly contagious. And so with reservoirs of people who don't have antibodies because they didn't catch COVID in the first place, we are seeing this variant spread incredibly fast. And so there are a lot of, I think, contributing factors to the this moment that we are in. And yet we know that it is on every one of us to do our part to take this seriously. And what's happening in Michigan could be happening in a different part of the country tomorrow. And that's why this is hopefully a moment where everyone sees this is still a very real threat that we have to continue to take seriously. And hopefully people will avail themselves of these miraculous vaccines that are available, uh, the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines. You can you can get them all across the country right now. And we're hoping that more people do because that really is an important way for us to get that normalcy we all crave and to be safe and to get our economy back on track. So you mentioned the vaccines, but one thing you did say in that Face the Nation clip that we showed in this intro is that you said you were asking the state for a two-week pause. What do you mean by pause first? So when the, you know, last March, when we first saw COVID come to Michigan and the numbers went through the roof and we saw so much death and hospitals that were overfilling, we didn't know a lot about this virus. We didn't know that a mask was the most important tool that we would have for the vast majority of the, the following year. We didn't have access to tests or PPE. We certainly didn't have vaccines. So we had to take a stay home, stay safe uh, posture to drive our numbers down. We were successful in doing that. When the virus started coming back in the fall, right before the holidays, we took a pause. It was supposed to be a, a few weeks. It ended up having to be extended a couple of times, but that pause again, pushed our numbers down. What we've asked people to do is to, to take a pause, um, but to do that, by not going into indoor dining, even though we have 50% capacity, it's still a, it's still a strong protocol. Um, indoor dining, uh, resumption of school sports, um, going back to school right after spring break. These are all things that we ask people not to do uh, so that we can get our numbers down. So if I'm hearing you, cor- if I'm hearing you right, a pause 
is less stringent than the, than the shutdowns that you and other governors across the country instituted last year. That's right. I mean, so that legal case that you mentioned in, in your question, that was a challenge to the executive authorities that I used to shut things down to issue the stay home, stay safe order. That was um, the the genesis of the powers that that we were exercising to keep people safe. And the Republican legislature sued me and along a party line vote in our Supreme Court, those powers um, were eviscerated. And they didn't say I did anything wrong. What they said was the original law from 1945 was um, not appropriately uh, delegated to the executive branch. It's a real tenuous stretch of a decision that they made, but nonetheless, it has big consequences. So we do still have some tools, but 15 months in, the most important thing that we can do is to mask up and to not congregate, not to be indoors and to get these vaccines. And that's where we are really pushing the population of Michigan to do their part. Now, you've requested more vaccines from the federal government or your request for max for <laughs> let me start again. Your request for more vaccines from the federal government uh, have been turned down. Jeff Zines, the White House COVID-19 response team's coordinator, has said that they would send more vaccinators and testing supplies. Are you satisfied with the federal response to the emergency in your state? Well, let me start with this. You know, on January 20th, when the Biden administration came into office, we saw a dramatic, dramatic change in our country's strategy to bring this virus uh, to its knees. And we're so grateful for the leadership of the administration, Jeff Zients and the COVID response team. They've been great partners to us. What we're seeing in terms of the variant spreading in Michigan is concerning. And of course, I asked for additional help uh, they have a national strategy, which is by and large working. Uh, I was hopeful that we might see some more vaccines coming into Michigan, but of course they've got to think about the whole nation. And I get that. I am grateful that they are sending boots on the ground. I am grateful that they have increased uh, access to therapeutics. That's one great way that we can keep people out of the hospital, which is a primary concern of ours with as much spread as we've seen. And so all of these factors are helping us address the situation here. And we know that with more and more vaccines coming online, soon our challenge is going to be encouraging and educating the public to avail themselves of these vaccines. Right now, supply does still um, is out, outnumbered by demand, um, but that could very soon uh, switch. And so it's gonna be on all of us to do our part, to encourage others to get this vaccine, to educate the public um, so that people understand these are, are incredible, safe, effective tools that we have to get back that normalcy we all crave. Let me ask you about two things that are happening uh, on, on the ground sort of right now. One, apparently over the weekend uh, in the Lansing area, there's right-wing militias held an anti-mask rally uh, at a local Menards and protested COVID regulations at Michigan State University. And I'm getting this from a tweet from Jonathan Osting um, up there. How can you convince um, anyone that it is vital to wear masks, but also imperative to get the vaccine when you have um, right-wing activists who are holding anti-mask rallies in your state? Well, I, I think that's part of the challenge on the ground here, Jonathan. You know, when people look to say, okay, we should just do what we did a year ago, 
And the reality on the ground is we've got to really take into account what we can and can't get the public to embrace and, and to support. We saw um, protesters at a school board meeting not long ago here in Michigan on the west side of the state where they were pounding on the doors insisting that the school board drop mask mandates. I mean, Michigan has still some of the strongest protocols on the books. We require masks. We have capacity restrictions. We have work from home here in Michigan. These are important aspects to keeping people safe, especially as we are seeing this community spread. And yet, you just cited a prime example of the challenge on the ground um, to encourage people to, to avail themselves of these vaccines and also to wear their masks. So we are, have a, still a very divided state. Uh, I think that the, the toll of the politics of the last year around this public health crisis are, are things that didn't end with the election. They continue and this is part of our challenge. And that's why um, encouraging, educating, and really appealing to people who are on the fence. We won't get 100% of the population, but we're gonna do our best to get the vast majority of people because that's how we get to a place where we can safely congregate, we can enjoy a baseball game or a football game in the fall or have um, a picnic around 4th of July. And that's, that's really the goal. That's the goal that President Biden set out it's very doable, but we're all going to have to really pull in the same direction to get the majority of people there. Uh, Governor, let me get your, your comments on something else. The Republican Party in Michigan is criticizing you for traveling out of state during the pandemic. The Republican Party says um, you went on a, quote, tropical vacation, end quote, to Florida. Was it a vacation? So I have traveled out of state three times in the last six months. Once was to go to the inauguration of President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. The second was to visit my National Guard troops who were in Washington, D.C., helping to secure the Capitol. And the third was a short two full day trip to check in on my father, who is battling some chronic illness. And he's a very private person. I feel terrible that I've even had to share that much. But it was certainly not spring break. I was um, doing both my job as governor from a distance and being that of a, a daughter who was helping out a parent who needed a little help. Can I ask you personally, how does it feel when you, I mean, there's politics and everything. You are governor, you ran to be governor, and so this comes with the territory. But when the opposing party does battle with you, political battle with you over your family members, how does that how does that sit with you? Well, it's maddening because a lot of these same people would <laughs> accuse me of not having family values if I didn't show up when a family member needed some help, right? Uh, is a two-day trip. I wasn't out partying in Miami. Uh, it's a very different situation than than what they're portraying. And I think unfortunately in this environment, it seems like think people are more focused on scoring political points and actually doing the work to keep people safe and to get our economy back on track. A lot of these same critics um, are, are part of the, um, the recalcitrant legislature that doesn't want to move dollars that were sent to Michigan by the Trump administration, not to mention the dollars that are coming in as a result of the, um, the Biden administration. We've got an incredible opportunity here. If we can drop all of this um, ugly political tactics and focused on deploying these resources to help businesses, to help people, to get our kids back in school. 
everyone in this state will be better off. And so it is, it's, it's unfortunate that that's the, this is the moment that we're in. I'm going to stay focused on doing my job because the stakes are really high and we've got a lot of work to do. Let's talk about something else that the Republicans in Michigan are doing, uh, particularly in the state Senate. They proposed a, a 39 bill election reform package last month, at the end of last month, that you have threatened to veto. Um, we could get into all the specifics of what's in that package. But my, my question to you is, um, one, have you vetoed it yet? Um, and, and two, what is it about this package that makes it unfair? So a couple of things, and I'm, I'm glad for the question. Uh, the package has not come through the legislature to my desk yet. If and when that happens, I will veto the package. There are 39 bills that are quote unquote solutions, but they're in search of a problem. We had a fair, full, historic election in the state of Michigan and in, the, in, in our country. This is simply an effort to create uh, barriers to voting people. And I think that it's important to also recognize that a gubernatorial veto isn't necessarily the end of this story. The head of the, the GOP has already indicated that they will use this weird mechanism in Michigan law where they can go and collect signatures. And it, if they get to a certain threshold, the, the policy goes before the legislature and on a simple majority vote, they can change the law of Michigan and bypass a gubernatorial veto. So we have got a potential real big fight on our hands. I'm grateful that there are a lot of businesses in Michigan that have weighed in and supported protections um, you know, that are currently in the law uh, that already make voting fair and safe um, and have taken a stand against any efforts to erode or suppress voting in the future. But this is, uh, will not end with a gubernatorial veto and that's why I'm glad you raised it because I think there's a lot of confusion about how serious this threat is here in Michigan. Let me get you to talk about uh, President Biden's $2.3 trillion American Jobs Plan. Um, you've said the president's infrastructure bill will, will provide well-paying jobs and fix decaying roads in your state, among other things. But what do you say to critics who say it's way too expensive a package and not enough of it is going to actual infrastructure programs? Well, you know what, uh, Governor Larry Hogan, Republican from Maryland, and I testified in front of the United States Senate Committee as they were starting to talk about infrastructure. And we both encouraged the Congress to be bold, to think about infrastructure, not just in the traditional roads and bridges sense, but to think about water infrastructure under the ground, broadband infrastructure. I mean, these are critical components to doing business, to living, um, a, a life of opportunity in this country. And frankly, we've seen underinvestment for a long, long period of time. Every state in the nation needs resources to make sure that we've got the infrastructure that supports our businesses and our quality of life. And so I'm excited about this prospect. We need to build resilient infrastructure. We need to be mindful of our carbon footprint and climate change. This is an opportunity to create a lot of good paying jobs and doing uh, this important work that has long, for too long, been ignored or underinvested in. And that's why I, I support it wholeheartedly. I think that this is an opportunity for us to get our economy back on track, to make this a place where we are competitive with the rest of the world, and to learn the lessons of the last 15 months. And that is, we cannot underinvest in the things that um, keep, keep us healthy, keep us safe, and keep us competitive.
Uh, we just have a few minutes left, but the last time you and I spoke uh, in this venue in Washington Post Live, you were under serious consideration to be Joe Biden's running mate. And I'm just wondering, um, in that process, it seemed like everyone who was considered came out of the process bigger in terms of stature, their standing within the party. At least that's my, that's my impression. Was that your experience? Does that even ring you know, true I, to you? It was, it, you know, it was a, an experience unlike anything I've ever been through. And I'm grateful for having had the opportunity because I can tell you, I've gotten to know President Biden quite well. I am thrilled that he chose uh, Vice President Kamala Harris as his running mate. I think it was a brilliant choice, but this has all given me the ability to build these relationships. And I think that's um, a, an incredible opportunity that I had. I think, too, we as a country need to bring voices to the table as we are um, plotting our path forward, creating opportunity for all. And so wherever there's an opportunity for me to add the Michigan voice or to add a voice from the experiences that I bring to the table, I'm, I'm honored to have that chance. Does it, do you think it's made you an even bigger target for Michigan Republicans who um, have been going after you, as we've just discussed, personally, but also politically and legislatively? Well, for whatever reason, the last 15 months has, um, I think, made me front and center in terms of the fight against COVID and created, um, I think, some some attention that I never could have anticipated and certainly that I, I never actually was looking for. And yet, I've got a job to do and I'm going to stay focused on that. I know that I will have a competitive election next year, even though I don't know who the opponent will be just yet. Michigan's a state that every election is going to be competitive. And so I am very sober about that fact. But it would be great if we could find some common ground around the fundamentals right now when we've got resources and such great need. And that's why I'm going to not be thinking too much about 2022 in this moment, but I've got to get, get my state through this tough time. And that's where my whole heart and mind and focus is. And I'm going to squeeze in one more, one more question, and that is this. Um, you know, you're part of the leadership series. We've been talking to the governors all year during the during the pandemic. Last question to you is this. Is there one decision you made you wish you could have a do-over on? I think any leader who's being honest would tell you if they could go back in a time machine with the knowledge we have accumulated and make some different choices along the way, every one of us would take that opportunity. We're battling a novel virus. We've learned an incredible amount. We've come a long way and we are not done yet. This virus is not done with us yet. So I think any leader who is being honest would recognize that if we could go back and do some things differently, maybe we would. But at every step of the way, I've listened to our, our best minds, I've listened to our best epidemiologists and public health experts and virologists. And um, I think in the moment we have done, we have navigated well, but certainly if I could do over what the knowledge we have now, certainly there'd be, little, there'd be some changes that I'd make along the way. Governor Gretchen Whitmer of the great state of Michigan, thank you very much for coming back to Washington Post Live. Thank you. And as always, thank you for tuning in. Come back at 2.30. That's just in, in less than an hour. 2.30 Eastern with my colleague, colleague David Ignatius will continue our Protecting Our Planet series with former Treasury Secretary Henry Paulson. You can always head to Washington Post Live 
www.ghostbusinessbusiness.com to register and find more information about upcoming programs. Until then, and once again, I'm Jonathan Capehart, opinion writer for The Washington Post. Thank you for tuning in to Washington Post Live. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.